many years ago when I got out of college from um, Texas Tech University in Lubbock, I moved back home to the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I knew I was going into ministry, and so I began my very first ever part-time ministry job at my home church. Church ran about 115, 120 people, had just a handful of students. I had no idea what I was doing as the youth pastor of that church. I knew that I loved students, middle school and high school. I knew that I wanted every student to know who Jesus was. I knew that God had called me to ministry, but that's all I knew. I didn't know how to do ministry, what I should do, how I should do it. And because I didn't know much, it really affected my confidence. So I went into it really nervous and anxious. But yet I knew this burning passion in my soul was for the students in the city and neighborhood, the ones I grew up in, to know Jesus. Well, luckily, even though I didn't know what I was doing and was scared and didn't have the confidence, there were several people around me, some college-age friends of mine, some friends that had just graduated, that we kind of bonded together, and we said, let's do this together. I was kind of the pastor, and they were kind of the the posse of the pastor there. They were my partners in crime. And so I had one particular friend, his name was Todd Gaston, and we just committed ourselves going, we don't know what we're doing, but we're going to go make sure these students know about Jesus. And like I said, we only had a handful of students in the church, so it's not like we could do it right there. So we just hit the streets. Um, the church's name was Hilltop Drive Baptist Church. It was located on Hilltop Drive, thus the Baptist Church. So we just started going up and down the streets and inviting people to church. I remember one time there's a couple of guys playing basketball out in the driveway and we stopped there and invited them to church. Of course, they looked at us going, why would we want to go to church? You know, we're like 15 years old. That's not where we want to go. And so we became the most evangelistic, holy inspired moment of our lives. We looked at them and said, you know what? Y'all are playing basketball. We like playing basketball. Here's the deal. Let's play a little two-on-two in the driveway. If we win, you have to come to church. If you win, then we'll never bother you again. And so the Holy Spirit just inspired us, and we beat those boys, and they came to church with us. Um, You know, over the years, and I was at that church about three years, I'm not sure with those guys, they were kind of a rough crowd. I'm not sure how much just Jesus and the gospel just stuck. Like sometimes you'd see something moving forward in them, and sometimes they'd pull back. They kept coming, I think more because the girls were good-looking other than the messages that were being preached. But it's just, it was this passion inside of me. But I'm so thankful that my friend Todd Gaston was there, my partner in crime, because I don't think I would have had the confidence. I would not have knew I didn't have the knowledge of what to do without him. Now, I share my story, and you may not have a story about traveling the streets of your hometown and asking people to come to church, but probably everyone in this room has some kind of story if you didn't have your partner in crime, your friend, your co-partner to do something with you, you might have never done it. It might be starting a business. Maybe you even just started working someplace and had no idea what you're doing, but some co-worker kind of adopted you and helped move you along. Many of us are probably right now sitting beside a spouse, and you have to go, yep, without this one here, my partner in crime, I wouldn't have made it these 30 or 40 years, but it could be a co-worker, it could be a family member, it could be a neighbor, but we've all had someone in our lives that you've partnered with, and if it wasn't for that individual, that you wouldn't have made it where you are right now. You know, we talk about that, and that's not something new just to our century right now. That went back way back the times of Jesus. In fact, if you look at the early church, when the disciples first began their evangelistic push and they're beginning the church, in the very beginning, most of the time in Scripture, in the book of Acts, you don't see them alone doing things. You see them in pairs or threes or fours or fives. In fact, if you think back to when Jesus sent the disciples out the first time, how did he send them out? Send them out and twos. So there's something about 
about God knowing who we are, that knowing that we need some people around us to help us take steps forward in the very things that he called us. And we're wrapping up our series from porch to patio today, and it makes sense that we would look at a couple of guys from the New Testament, the book of Acts, that they stepped out together in community. See, sometimes we think of community as we've been talking from porch to patio, it's your group, it's your Sunday school class, but community is much more than getting with people one time a week. Community is who you do life with. I was talking to I'm someone from the church this past week, part of the Galilean class, and they said they've been together for 35 plus years meeting, not just in their Sunday morning hour time they're doing the Bible study together, but they've been doing life together for 35 years. So I want to take you to a couple of guys in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 3, and it's Peter and John, two names that we're very familiar with in, in the New Testament, but it's Acts chapter 3 and verse 1, and I want us to look at how they stepped together they were partners in crime in this thing that God called them so let me read with you verse chapter 3 verse 1 and it says this and Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service now that, that doesn't sound anything dynamic right anything out of the ordinary it's just two guys two brothers in Christ and they're going to the church to the temple that day and they're going to the prayer service but look what happens next in verse 2. It says, As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. And each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. So here's Peter and John. They're going to the beautiful gate, this temple. It was an amazing temple that we don't have any actual photographs, of course, but we've got some renditions of it from artists. But these two guys walk in, Peter and John, and they look, and there's this lame guy this beggar that says is lame from his legs because every day somebody would have to carry him in and place him at the temple. So you can imagine if every time you came to church on a Sunday morning, there would be a beggar that couldn't walk sitting outside the front doors of our church. You would have no choice but to walk beside around and just go through this person every time you came in. And that's what was going on with Peter and John when they walked in. But here's what I want us to understand. We're talking about a story 2,000 plus years ago about this lame beggar. But I think this story that we read about in Acts chapter 3 is as much about us today as it was this lame beggar back then. And here's what I mean by that. I believe this, that you and I are as broken as the lame beggar. Now, it was obvious he was broken. Someone had to carry him in there. His legs were broken. He couldn't walk. He had to just beg every day to get a nickel or a dime or a quarter, whatever he could get just to get lunch so he could make it through the next day. His brokenness was obvious. Anybody that walked by that day saw his brokenness. If you saw the, the men carrying him in every day on the mat, you would be aware of his brokenness. Now, you and I may not have broken legs, and we might not have had to been carried in here on a, on a mat and dropped in the seat that you're sitting in. But according to Scripture, because of you and mine and our sin in our life, we are broken individuals. And that brokenness of our sin leads us to brokenness in other areas of our life. On, again, in, on any given Sunday, whether it's in this service or next, there's people that walk into this church with broken relationships relationships that you want reconciled that you wish were reconciled but because of you or the other person they just can't seem to get together and those broken relationships sometimes are with your neighbors sometimes they're with your co-workers and unfortunately the ones that really hurt are the ones within your own family that your blood but yet you're no more closer together because of your blood than the person on the other side of the city 
Uh, there's brokenness in here in our finances that you're looking at your money and your, and your checkbook and your account going, I hope this money lasts as long as I live because there's brokenness in how much money I have. We have brokenness in our, in our spiritual lives. We have brokenness in our emotional lives. We are broken people. And so the story that we're reading about today, Peter and John and the broken lame person, is as much about us today as it was the characters in the story 2,000 years ago. And so the Bible says on this particular day that Peter and John, they're come, they've come walking in, they're going into the temple, and they notice the man. In fact, look what it says in verse 3 when they see him. It says, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. So he's just laying there on the ground. He's got his hand up. Maybe he's got a little cup. Maybe he's got a little basket going, can I have just something? I mean, look at me. I can't make it without you. Give me something, a nickel or quarter dime, just something so I can make it through tomorrow. And the Bible says this, and he asked them for some money. And Peter and John, in verse 4, looked at him intently. Now let's pause there for a second. We are broken, and we have broken people all around us. But you know what my confession is? Is that the broken people around me, I'm so busy where I'm going, or I'm so preoccupied with myself that I don't see the brokenness around me. Now, let's go back to Peter and John. If they would not have saw the man, they would have either had to step over him or go around him. It's not like something that is obvious that they didn't see him. Now, I disguise it a lot better. I start talking to somebody else when I don't really want to pay attention to your brokenness. Or I get busy on my phone and really preoccupied doing whatever I'm doing on my phone so I don't know what's going on in your life and don't have to acknowledge what's going on in your life. So sadly, in the brokenness around me, I don't see the people that are broken as intently as Peter and John did. And I read this story, and as we continue reading, and maybe you're familiar with it, it's a beautiful story that has a beautiful ending. But I wonder how many stories are being written in mine and your life every single day that God has a beautiful ending. We're just not looking intently enough with what he's doing, and we miss the beautiful ending. But in this particular time, that says the Bible says this, that they looked at him intently. And I want you to notice there in verse 4, it says, and Peter and John looked at him intently. They were walking in together, and we're calling on partners in crime, but let me use another word that we've become familiar with in our series from porch to patio. They looked at him within community. Again, community is not that time and place that we meet once a week. Community is the people you do life with. And community can come in two, three, four, five, or more people, but community is when you're stepping into life with people. So here's Peter and John, and the Bible says they looked at him intently. This is one of those moments I wish I could dig deeper and ask the questions going, okay, can I figure out what really happened? Were they both walking in and at the same time their eyes saw the lame beggar? Or could maybe Peter was so preoccupied with something, it was John that had to kind of jab him going, hey, hey, look, there's a guy right there that we should help out. See, that's the beauty of community. Community is when I'm weak, someone else is strong. When I'm focused, someone else, or when I'm not focused, someone else is focused. So we don't know if both Peter and John saw the man at the same time, or it could be that God was working through them, the community, the plurality of who they were, and one of them saw, but because one saw helped the other one to see. But the Bible says that they looked at him intently, and then Peter said this, look at us. So as they saw the man, they wanted the man to see them. 
He was getting his attention. And the lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. So do you see the story unfolding? That they're walking through where they're stopping. Here's the man. And the man's going, great, here's some money. This may be enough for lunch. And he's looking at him. Maybe he holds his basket up a little bit higher and just ready for whatever they're going to give him. And he's thinking they're going to give money because that's all that's ever been given to him. Remember, he's been broken. He's probably been broken his whole entire life. And the only help that he's ever received is a few change, a few coins from somebody as they walk by. In reality, just like us, his legs were broken, but there was a deeper brokenness in his life. There was a spiritual brokenness in his life, but all he was worried about was the immediate future of getting money for his food and not his really spiritual brokenness. And it's at that moment that Peter looked at him and said, look at us. And then he goes on to say this, I don't have any silver or gold for you. But what I give you, but I'll give you what I have in the name of Jesus, the Christ of Nazarene, get up and walk. Now, this seems like a really glorious moment, right? This is one of those moments that you wish you were there 2,000 years ago because here's the lame man. You, you, we know it's going to happen. We've read the story already. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And this, this, this anticipation and this glorification is growing up going, watch God work right here. And the man sitting here, and if you've never read this story before, what you imagine what's going to happen, he's going to look at him and smile and throw his cane down and jump up going, hallelujah. But remember, the beggar's not looking to walk. He's not looking to be physically healed. He's only after a few coins. And so while we have all this anticipation, while we have all this expectation of what's about to to take place, there's got to be this instant, this moment that the beggar is not full of expectation or anticipation. He's full of disappointment. Dude, I don't want to walk. I just need a quarter. I'm not asking you to change my life. I just want enough money to get a burger. That's all I'm looking for. And so there had to be this moment of conflict in the story. That Peter is giving him the words and the power to be spiritually and physically healed, but the man just wants a quarter. You see the conflict? You see the tension there? Look what happens next. And then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and he helped him up. He just gave him the power in the name of Jesus to get up and walk. And the man is still there. <laughs> you wonder if the story's going, Peter's going, come on, come on, in the name of Jesus, come on, come on. And the man's just there. No, like really, come on. But the man's just there. And so Peter has to reach out and grab him by the hand and help him up. Helping up is not even walking yet. The, and what Peter gave was get up in the name of Jesus and walk. But Peter's having to take a little bitty step and just going, can I help you just stand? And there's this moment in the story that you start thinking, this is not going to turn out the way it's supposed to. I mean, think how much better the story would be if Peter would have said, in the name of Jesus of Nazarene, get up and walk. And the man, the Bible says, and he smiled and he jumped up and he started doing the jig and praising Jesus right there. Wouldn't that be a better end to the story? But Peter's got to gradually bend down and go, you can do it. Come on, let me help you up. But watch this church. 
That's not a less glorious ending to our story than if he would have got up and got a jig, did a jig. You know why? Because in every one of our lives, when we're broken, God doesn't tell us to run to the finish line. He just says, take the next step. And for this man, what's taking place is not only is there a physical healing taking place, there's a spiritual transformation taking place inside of him. Because the best we can tell at this point, he didn't have the faith in Jesus. He was just looking for the next handout. And so there was a spiritual transaction taking place in his life that while he may be about to learn to walk, he's also learning who Jesus is. And so Peter reaches down and says, let me help you up. Probably every single one of us at some point in our life, someone had to reach down and say, don't worry about dancing yet. Don't worry about running yet. Just stand. Just take that first spiritual step and you'll be okay. And so Peter reaches down, took the lame man by the right hand and he helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and they were strengthened. And he jumped up and he stood up on his feet and he began to walk. Now you can see the excitement taking place. I mean, as far as we know, he has never walked a day in his life. It's not like from Scripture that we can think that he was hurt at some point. He has never walked. And so he's taking these very first steps. And then walking and leaping and praising God, he went into the temple with them. Now, let's imagine the temple service. It was a service just like this. And, you know, if you come here early, five minutes before the service, people are shaking hands and talking. There's light murmuring, not murmuring, griping, but just light chitter chatter taking place. It's not a lively place. It's not a loud place. It's just a subdued place. That's the way a church should be. That's the way the temple was supposed to be. Remember, they were going into for a prayer service. So there was a, probably a focus on whoever, whatever, whatever they were looking at the front of the, the, the temple area, but they were focused on praying to God. But the Bible says this man came walking in. And he was leaping, he was dancing, he was talking. I've got to believe that as he walked down the aisle, everybody went, what are you doing? This is God's house. Like, we're here to focus on God. But where was God in that service? He was a new healed man that just happened right there. He was disturbing the status quo. He was messing up what they were used to. But I don't know about you, but when I read scripture, God has a way of messing up what I'm used to. God has a way of taking the things that I call normal and make him spectacular so people recognize who he is. And that's exactly what happened here because look what happens next. Verse 9, and all the people saw him walking and they heard him praising God. So he's messed up the moment. He has disturbed the service. And when they realized he was the lame beggar, they had, often so, they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. Now, if you have your notes, circle that word astounded. Because we see that in other places in Scripture. We see when the disciples were in awe, the people were in awe of God. They were astounded. When I think of astounded, it's like they're just looking there, right? Like, We don't know what to think about this. This is not the ordinary. They were astounded. And it says this, they all rushed out. Okay, remember, they were supposed to be coming in for a service. There was a prayer time, a solemn time. But this man came in and he was dancing and laughing, going, look at me, I can walk. And they realized who he was. And so their attention went from their prayer service to go outside with him. 
And they all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. You see, I don't think God was upset that the prayer service got cut short. I don't think he was upset because this is supposed to be an hour long and you guys just lasted 30 minutes because we had this man that was healed there. I think God's going, wow, your eyes were finally opened. That I am more than just some God that you find in the four walls of a building. I am the God that's changing lives. And so this man went outside and the Bible says that everybody followed him and everybody was astounded. You know, I don't know if they made a circle around him going, hey, dance some more because this is making us happy. I don't know because he was dancing and shouting and jumping up and down. It made everybody else dance and shout and jump up and down. We don't know what the story was going on there, the big picture, but we do know this. The people, the Bible says, were astounded at what God did. Now, hold that astounded moment and go back to the beginning. How did it all begin? It began with community. It began two men, that's community, sharing life together, walking in, and together they saw the man. So the whole story of the man that was broken being healed began in community, and look how it ended. And more community gathered around, and more people saw. See, here's why I bring this story up today. I've had people ask me during our series from porch to patio, now why do we do community? I mean, like I can read the Bible and I can come to church and I can pray and God and I are just fine, Keith. Why? I understand what community is. Community is. I understand where we do and when we do community. We've talked about the last few weeks. But tell me again, Keith, why do we do community? We do community because it's with community that the clearest, best picture of who God is is seen by all. Go with me to Acts chapter 2. It's the very first passage we ran at the very beginning of the series. And it's when the new church or the, the New Testament church was coming together. And here's what it says in Acts chapter 2 verse 42. All the believers, community, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals and to prayer. And the deep sense of awe came over all of them. Does that sound like the story that we just read with Peter and John? Absolutely. They were astounded. They were in awe. It was Peter, John. It was the lame man. It was all the people gathered around. So the whole community in both stories, and they're sensing God working. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had, and they sold their property and possessions, and they shared the money with those in need. So communities getting deeper and deeper together. And they worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. And all the while, praising God, enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to the fellowship of those who are being saved. So it's in community is the why. Why community? Let me give you two things if you're filling in on your blanks there. Here's the first thing, the why of community. Why community? Community allows us to live more fully in who God made us to be. Community allows us to live more fully in who God made us to be. You see, Peter and John were just beginning their ministry, and if they would have went there one by one, they might not have saw the man. They might not have reacted, because just like you and I, sometimes we need a partner in crime. We need those around us to help us move our life to where it needs to go. So coming in together, living their life, sharing life, walking in life in community, allow them to experience fully in who God made them to be. They were meant to be apostles. Apostles. 
They were meant to be evangelists. And together, they were able to do it better. I think back to the story that I told you 35 years ago when I first began my ministry. I don't know if I could have done it without my buddy Todd Gaston. Because it was his support, his community, living, sharing life with me that helped me to progress and grow and mature as a pastor. I think without Todd Gaston, I'd been driving down the road and I saw those two guys playing basketball and I would have never stopped because I would have been too intimidated and too scared. I think back to that church, Hilltop Drive Baptist Church, there were four or five or six guys on that street that we ended up meeting that I told you about. I'm not sure I would ever met them. But because I had someone and others around me to encourage me, to give me confidence, to nudge me, to walk with me, I was able to experience fully who God made me to be. So that's the why. Let me give you the second why. The second why is this. Community allows us to share more more fully with others who God is. Community allows us to share more fully with others who God is. It was in the story of Peter and John with the lame guy and people began gathering around. The clearest, best picture of Jesus was seen by all. It's when the disciples and all the people gathered together in Acts chapter 2 that the people stood in awe and the Bible says, and they added to their numbers daily. You see, when you and I live in our fullness of who God made us, it makes us the best picture in the world. It goes, I need some of that. I need some of the love they show one another. I need some of that care they show one another. I don't have that in my life. And they're looking at us and the corporate communal approach to our Christian life is the clearest picture of Jesus. Now, I told you 35 years ago, those kids on those streets, here's what happened. I was at that church about three years, and like I said, I poured into them, um, led them, talked to them. I don't know if it took. We moved from that church three years later, my wife and I. And so as time goes, you know, you go your separate ways, and I never knew what happened to all those kids 35 years ago. Two months ago, I get a message, a direct message on my Facebook And it's from one of those boys on Hilltop Drive Baptist Church. And he wrote me the message. He said, Keith, and I haven't talked to him for 35 years. Every once in a while, he'll pop up on my Facebook feed. And I could tell from occasional pictures that he's had a rough life. If I wondered if the gospel took in his life, you could look at some of the pictures going, not sure if it really took. So he sends me a direct message. And he said, Keith, at some point, I want to talk to you. You taught me who Jesus was 35 years ago. And I need to tell you how that's influenced my life today. 35 years. I haven't talked to this kid. He's a kid. He was 15 back then, so he's old now, right? He's no longer a kid. And so I texted him back, and I'm going, man, I would love to. And I said, where are you living now? Me expecting, because that was the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I just expected he still lived in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I said, where do you live now? Remember, I haven't talked to him in 35 years. He goes, I'm in Denver right now working. I said, Jason, you're kidding me. I said, did you know I live in Denver now? He goes, no. And I said, yeah, my wife and I moved here six months ago. I'm in Denver now. Last Monday night, I met Jason, who the last time I saw him, he was 15 years old. And I met him down there at Lazy Dog, and we had dinner. But we had more than dinner. Found out Jason's had a rough life. He's made some choices and decisions that he's had to pay some consequences for. But he said, Keith, all along, I known that Jesus was with me. 
In fact, when we la- met last Monday night, he was still kind of struggling in some areas. Now, this is the only bad thing about coming to the second service. Guess who was at the first service? Jason sat right over there. But Jason, I talked, and I'm trying to get him some help that will kind of help him keep growing and maturing in who he is. But he goes, I would not be here, Keith, if it wasn't for Jesus. And you introduced me to Jesus 35 years ago. Now, I believe in God's sovereignty. If Keith would have been too scared and too nervous and never played basketball and never met those guys, I still believe God would have met him. But because of community, because of the influence and the strength and the encouragement from my friend Todd that allowed us to start playing basketball and meet these kids on the street and invite them to church, I got to be a part of this story today. But more important than that, Jesus is part of Jason's story today. And so church, if you ask me why do we need community, here's the bottom line. Sometimes, too many times, we're just kind of spiritual scaredy cats. We don't have the courage, we don't have the boldness that we wish we had. But when you have somebody come around you, when you have those that support you, it can help us take steps in our spiritual life. And it's for that we can know God more. But when we know God more, then the people around us see God better. And it empowers us to be who God made us in the lives of others. And Jason was right there. In fact, I put him on the spot. This kid maybe hadn't been a kid. He's again, he's 35 plus 50. You 15, you figure that one out. But he was a kid to me. He has maybe not even been in church. He's just, Jesus has held on to him. And I said, Jason, I'm going to put you on the spot. Can you come up here? And he stood right here. But before Jason could ever say anything, and I was like, I'm using you kind of for my illustration. Okay, just follow the preacher here. Okay, there's a way you're supposed to do this, right? Kind of like when Peter and John went to the temple. He walked up here, and I'm trying to use him for a, tem- for a sermon illustration, right? And he walks, and big Jason just wraps his arms around me and says, I love you. Church, this is not to pat me on the back. This is to say, when we do things God's way, he's got plans way down the road that we can't even see. And I thought, Jason, he's working this temporary job, and I thought he was going to be here for two or three more months. That's what he told me last Monday. And so I said, Jason, this is your new family. And tears just came down his eyes. Because I know the broken family he comes from. And people rushed up to him afterwards and put their arms around him. Now, the sad part of this story, I found out, he told me kind of after everything settled down. He goes, Keith, I was supposed to be here for two more months. My boss just told me they're transferring me Monday to Oklahoma to work a job. I'm going, oh, no. But you know what? I believe today was everything he needed in his life to get through the next months because we were Jesus in community. See, community started years ago when me and my buddy Todd found him and introduced Jesus to him. But community continued right now because he thought of church just as a bunch of people going to building, not as a family. And people just thronged over him afterwards. I mean, I think he had the next 15 meals lined up, people asking him over dinner. Why do we need community? Because we experience God in his fullness. And because of that, we can be God in his fullness to other people, and they can meet Jesus. That's the why behind community. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. 
But thank you that your word is so real. We see it act out today the same way it did 2,000 years ago. And so, Lord Jesus, I, I pray for my friend Jason, but more than that, I pray for us here at South Sub Church. May we be everything in community. God, that when you made it, when you designed it, when you created the New Testament church, when you created groups of people coming together in homes, when you saw that 2,000 years ago, Jesus, may we be everything that you envisioned at that moment so that the world can stand in awe of you. So thank you, Jesus, that you invite us into your story. And we pray this in your holy name. Amen.